0: Hi, and welcome back to OA On Air via social distancing. I'm Kayan Isaacson. This week, it's 321 Go with Cosmo Masero. Then, Cosmo talks to local Boston author who hails from Ireland, Kyle Darcy. And last up, Two Minutes with Tom.
1: Hello, and welcome to another edition of 321 Go on OA On Air, our weekly look into the world of public affairs, culture, business and the economy i'm your host cosmo macero joining me here on three two one go as always is kyan isaacson hello hey kyan hey i can see you i can see you i can see you our our, uh almost like we're um, back
0: in the studio but not it
1: feels like it i know our remote platform after it took a year but our remote platform has finally introduced video conferencing uh excellent um So uh, good to see you. Good to talk to you. Hey, let's jump right in because um, some of the biggest names in tech and uh, digital tools and social media have introduced uh, new tools for work and uh, engagement and play. Let's start with Google. Google Workspace uh, has rolled out some better features for Google Calendar and Chat, better ways to join the Google Meet video conference platform. Uh, and some other features all designed, obviously, to enhance your ability, um, certainly, to, to, I mean, to work collaboratively, but really to work remotely. So um, uh, no doubt that a, a, a significant level of remote and or at-home work uh, is, is going to be part of, uh, of our lives uh, for a, a quite some time or a long time to come, maybe forever, uh, at least at some level. And they've introduced some new tools uh, to help enable that. It's a competitive marketplace.
0: It is. I think it's a recognition of the fact that the business world as we know it has been changed forever by the COVID pandemic. What working from an office looks like, working from home looks like. Um, A lot of companies realized it works. And perhaps I don't need all this square footage. I don't need to pay these high rent. Prices. Um, it also enables you to bring in talent from other places, which is really interesting. I think Teams made a big play earlier this year. Microsoft Teams really seemed to be all the rage. Go- I think this is Google's response to that, um, essentially saying we have all these capabilities too. And for people that use Google platforms for their email, I think this is probably really welcome. Um, it does a lot. And part of it, it, there's a lot of tracking um, which for people who really are stuck in sort of a nine to five mold, I think that probably is beneficial for people like us who are our work schedule is a little bit more fluid. Um, you know, maybe I don't want you to know that from you know two to two thirty, I'm not available because I'm doing laundry, but I'm going to be on later that night to make up for it. Um, but the opportunities are endless in terms of con- communication and connectivity. And I think that that's really important. They also introduced something that was specifically for frontline workers, which I thought was really, really interesting too. And another nod to recognizing that there are people who don't have this option, but might want to figure out how to stay connected to others who do.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's true. I mean, I think there's some level uh, of, uh, accountability loss that certain organizations probably feel that they've experienced and this is a way to try to get some of that back which yeah. which makes sense. Um so all right so that that that's Google. Let's move right into Twitter because they've introduced a couple features. One I'm very interested in but one that's getting really all the buzz and that is the idea of the super follower. What's that? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> um
0: so Twitter hasn't made a lot of updates in a long time. They did announce this week that they are introducing um, the concept of a super follower, which will be you pay to uh, follow certain people and will be able to get additional content from them, subscriber-based content, or you know, exclusive above and beyond what they're tweeting regularly. I think it really speaks to The conversation we had a few weeks ago, even with Dan Kennedy and the emails and the subscription-based services that we're seeing around news, um, this is sort of another way to be backing into that. And I would imagine some of the people that are doing some of those newsletter-based subscription journalism will look at this as another opportunity to get into it. Followers may be able to have access to your monthly newsletter or whatever it is. So it's bringing, and we're we've seen that on a lot of other platforms. Twitter's a little late to the game and doing it. Um, but it, I can see how it will make sense for some,
1: but I mean, I'm, I'm not going to
0: gonna of, all due respect. I'm not going to pay to follow
1: you. Cosmo. I, I appreciate that. And I, I wouldn't <laughs> expect you to, I'm trying to think if there's any people or any organizations that I follow that right now that I'd be like, I, I can't do without that. I'm going to pay that, you know, 99 cents a month or whatever it is. And I, 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 it, it doesn't come to mind. I, maybe there is some, but.
0: I'm wondering if there's a space for it with news organizations. I know that conversations I've had in, year, like in the past more so um, with reporters was they had to balance tweeting breaking news and breaking news on their news outlet. Yeah. And that sometimes led to them not looking like they were breaking news at the same time as others, if they were holding on the tweet in order to write up the story. I'm wondering if that's a play for this. And then, you know, celebrities with fans are gonna eat this up.
1: Yeah, no, I I think that that that's that's where it's gonna go. But great point though. It it could be another potential revenue model for news organizations. Um we shall think. So we'll see, but um, interesting stuff. Twitter is also introducing its version of well, it, Twitter groups. It is probably their take on what I consider very valuable and successful Facebook groups, um, where there are some groups that, are, that that have been that are leveraged for all types of marketing effectively and business models just based on Facebook groups. I'm a member of a bunch of them, uh, including a couple that have, you know. Twenty and thirty thousand members, which is a remarkable. I actually am an administrator of a group, like a little networking group of a few hundred people, uh, that's growing like by one or two a week. So I've learned a lot about them that way. So I think Facebook groups is a real success story, and and like you said, Twitter hasn't really hasn't really done a lot of updates to its platform recently. And um, I guess this is them getting into that because it, it, you certainly have the ability to have like-minded people or people with a common interest congregating using social media to do all kinds of things including you know commerce and uh and and just sort of discussion about your common interest or organizing for better or worse
0: <laughs> I love it I'm excited for that feature I don't to your earlier point I don't know how I will if I will be engaging in any super following however we talk about this in a year or two years from now, we could be in a different spot where everyone on Twitter is using the super, like this could be the thing that changes the platform altogether. People decide that it's worse. So it'll be, I mean, once, I feel like I say this a lot, but it'll be interesting because it could change the game a little bit.
1: Yeah, no, it it, it absolutely could. And and, and does it mean that you, does the super follower concept mean you, you don't have to have a million followers to 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 be, you know, to generate uh, yeah. a paid audience? Maybe you don't. Maybe it's a niche thing. You or, have to you know, have the
0: blue check in order to, you know, exactly. have super the followers. elusive blue check. That blue check. Oh, everyone's chasing the blue check.
1: Verified. <laughs> they they stopped giving it out for like three years. They just said we're not doing it anymore. And then they started. I think
0: they got sick of the applications. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> from PR people on behalf of their clients. So anyway, all right. I don't awesome. know what you're uh, talking about. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's talk about Harry and Meghan. I I, I, I want to call them Prince. Speaking I of mean,
0: celebrities and super followers.
1: celebrities. So an interesting, uh, I follow sort of, I, I got to kick up uh, there's a couple things. There's a little, very, very, you know, brief AP story about, uh Harry and Prince Harry and uh Meghan Markle in their interview with their neighbor, their new neighbor, Oprah Winfrey, um, in which he says Go it's been it's, to be my neighbor. I know, no kidding. Um, where the Harry confesses that it's it's been very difficult to to uh you know withdraw from the royal family and give up all those responsibilities. And which which that drew me to the story just because I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Um but then he reflected on the life of uh, of you know of Princess Diana, uh, you know killed tragically in 1997 in a, in a in a in a car high speed you know almost a high speed chase as as the paparazzi of the time the were, were chasing her and uh, Dodi Al-Fayed through a tunnel. Um, nonetheless, he, he points out that. Um, his, 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 you know, his mother after the divorce from Prince Charles had an incredibly tough, which I don't doubt. However, you know, and I recall that era very vividly, and, and not just through sort of uh, um, uh, the the prism of history. She she still essentially dominated in terms of her image and and the and the global respect that people had for her, and, and I don't know that Prince Charles. Uh, uh, you know, won the popularity contest after their divorce um i, I, I think he's he's referencing oh, her God, the no. no he's referencing the difficult life she had and, and somehow connecting it to to him and megan and I guess that's where I'd ask you I, I don't know where the connection is um you know i, I don't I'm not sure what um, he's trying to say
0: leading up to when they began dating the press coverage was just so intense. Um, And the scrutiny and the criticism and the picking apart of her life and her being, um, everything she did, uh, rumor, you know, it was it was nasty. I think the British press has historically been and continues to be pretty nasty. Um, And I think he just didn't want to put her through that, knowing what it did to his mother and knowing that like the voraciousness of it ultimately led to her death
1: um you know yeah did she not want to go because it's like i mean you marry a prince was Mm -hmm. it him or her or both because you marry a prince and then you say yeah i don't want you to be a prince anymore it's like they say love conquers all does does, should love conquer royalty i'm not sure if it should i don't think love conquers
0: all to begin with (laughs) (laughs) um no i mean it was it was bad, it was very nasty to her. She was really picked apart, and there's a million reasons it could be that she was an American girl. It could be you know there were um sort of
2: uh a lot of racist
0: concerns i mean there the levels were deep, and I think it was just something like they just didn't want to deal with anymore. I don't know. I can't wait to watch the interview and um I number one and continue to be fascinated by the fascination that americans have with british royalty Um, and oprah because to us oprah is her own royalty in some ways oh i i Um,
1: I agree i agree Uh, what i what i i guess this is very shallow a very shallow view but i i guess if you if if you if you enter the, the the world of royalty and become essentially, you know, a, a Royal, a princess, so to speak, a you marry, literally, you literally marry Prince Charming and say, you know what, look, let's, let's move to California. Let's get out of here. It's just, I, I mean, don't, you know.
0: I don't know if it was always the plan. I think that, and I think they both knew that it was going to be a lot of attention on them, but it turned and it just, you know, I think at a certain point you have to make a decision. What kind of life do you want to live for yourself? And, They seem to be living a lovely life in Montecito, California with Oprah as their neighbor. So like, you know, but the deeper questions, you know, the big teasers, like Oprah, like were you silenced or were you silent? Um,
1: Yeah.
0: The relationship, you know, did he tell his family, like, is he no longer connected to his family? Those are difficult things. Maybe we'll find out. But to me, it's like what a phenomenon Oprah is and then what a phenomenon British royalty is to Americans even though it has little effect on our lives. Um, and the teaser, the teasers that they've been doing this whole week, it's, it's great marketing.
1: It's great. You know, it, it, it is. And, and, and any, a big, a big Oprah interview is, 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 is indeed a big media and cultural event. My, just real quick. And as we close out my favorite part of this little, this associated press account, uh, the, uh, which is about Harry and Megan removing themselves from royalty. And this the, the, the story says, uh, uh, Megan wore an empire-style black dress with embroidery, and Harry wore a light gray suit and white dress shirt. It's like they can't let go with of with no these- tie, <laughs> with no tie. But you can't let go of the the detailed explanation of the wardrobe of the royals, even though it's a story about, about not being royal. Anyway,
0: and in a right. garden setting.
1: Indeed, indeed. All right, Cayenne. Um, that's gonna do it for this week's edition of Three, Two, One, Go. Our uh, our program is recorded. In various locations around the Commonwealth and the U.S. And now, uh, well, I guess it's not on video, but we can see each other. That's nice. It's like being in the studio. Um, Our producer is Catherine O'Brien. Thanks for listening. Goodbye till next time. I'm Cosmo Macero. Joining us now on O.A. on Air is Boston-based author Kyle Darcy. He's the author of the best-selling Under Current Conditions and its long-awaited follow-up book, a prequel under the impression. Kyle Darcy, thanks for joining us on O.A. on Air.
2: It's my pleasure, Cosmo. Thank you.
1: Excellent. Um, Kyle, I had the pleasure of first meeting you at uh, at, uh, at a Zoom event where you were the, uh, the guest speaker, and you gave a terrific talk about uh, not just Uh, the process of being an author in your uh, remarkably successful first book, but also some background on how um, the character of Martin Quinn came together, uh, which I thought was uh, one of the most fascinating uh, sort of origination stories I had heard. Uh, And I I thought maybe you'd start there with just introducing our listeners to um, uh, Under Current Conditions and the character of Martin Quinn and how it came together
2: um well i guess originally it came you have to go back to the 1970s cosmo when when i was in college in belfast northern ireland and i would come out on summer vacations to boston and uh back then you had studio 54 and donna summer and and as a young teenager coming from 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 belfast war and it was in the grips of the troubles and the conflict to, to spend a few months over here in the summer and amongst all that it was just uh uh, uh, incredible! It, it, it opened up my eyes to the potential, and 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 then after I graduated in college and got married, and I moved to to um, the United States and and made Boston my home in the late '80s. Um, that pretty much told you how I ended up living here. I was fortunate enough to get a green card, and with my employment being a, a civil engineer graduate. Uh, it was easy to find work, um, especially with the big dig looming. There was plenty of work for anybody in the construction industry. Um, but so I, um, 10 years into my time here in the United States, uh, I lived nine weeks in 1999, the likes of which I had never uh, read a book to match what I had experienced or seen a movie. And it was quite an amazing time. And so, uh, you know, it, 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 it included my friend getting killed and what we were told was just a sad accident, but that turned out to be a murder. Then unrelated to that, I reached out for help with an attorney who turned out to be a kidnapper. And then unrelated to those two stories, um, something incredible happened to me during those nine weeks. So after the dust had settled, Cosmo felt uh, morally obligated to tell the story. It was just something I wanted to share and it took quite a while and uh, some of the events of some of the other parts of the story took quite some time to uh, play out with indictments and mm-hmm. uh, extradition processes and things like that uh, and in order to do the story justice I decided I would write it not as a uh, I decided to do it more as a as a as a fiction story so I wouldn't be tied to every single detail and whereas I never interacted with kidnapped victims, uh, I felt rather than track them down and, and I would just introduce a new character which I used in for the spin up spin out for the second story. But the protagonist in the first book is Martin Quinn, and uh, he's linked to the second book, and Martin Quinn was the name I gave myself uh, as the protagonist in the story, so when undercurrent Current starts. He's getting uh, marched out of the Boston Harbor Hotel, put into an unmarked cruiser, taken away, and then the book goes back a few weeks to take you up to that point, and then tells you where he's going. Uh, a, a long-winded story, but that's hopefully that set the table a little bit for your listeners.
1: Sure, indeed it did. So the the critical takeaway is that <clears throat> a series of remarkable and 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 certainly frightening uh, experiences. Uh, in your own life led to the creation of this book, led to the story, really is the story. Uh, But you gave yourself a little bit of uh, leeway in in, in fictionalizing it.
2: Exactly. And because uh, one of the the two books challenged me in different ways, the first book, Under Current Conditions, I wanted to stay true to the story, Cosmo, whereas in Under the Impression, I set a hookup in the first book, and I then I had a clean uh, sheet of paper. could take it wherever I wanted. But because uh, Under Current Conditions was uh, based on actual events, and to be honest, it started off very bland, and, and it was just this, just a, a series of insignificant events that finally slowly came into play and all came together to be something dramatic. But the challenge was the first half of the book uh, it was trying to find keep people in, invested in the book because no matter how good your book is at the end or the middle, if people don't get there, uh, you've wasted your time, you know? So by by writing as a fiction, I could take a little bit of license with some of the events and the timing to make sure we were getting a blend and a mix at the beginning of the story and and carrying it along.
1: Now, <clears throat> it's been actually about 10 years since... Under Current Conditions and uh, Remarkably Successful. you've on, on the strength of that book, you've built a, a, a great fan base. But I guess my question is, how? at what point in the past 10 years, and maybe it was right away or maybe it was more recent, did you say to yourself, the next book is actually the prequel to this and not a follow-up or, 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 or my next project that I want to publish is not something completely different?
2: Um that's a very good question Cosmo. I uh, I think before I while I was in the process of writing the first book I figured I had at least a trilogy if not more because of what was going on. And uh growing up in Northern Ireland uh, uh during the seven, 7 1970s and 80s uh it it really was a dynamic place at that time the whole uh, population of Ireland would have been little over 3 million so Northern Ireland was less than less than a million. But still, during those times, you had it played a major pivotal role in world politics and world news. You had the DeLorean motor car factory that was uh, constructed in Northern Ireland by John DeLorean. And it was only operating two years before he was arrested in a cocaine sting. Uh, you had the, while the, while the uh, Contra Fair was going on with Oliver North giving testimony uh, in, the, in, the, in, in Capitol Hill there. Um, it tied links into Northern Ireland where he was trying to buy the blowpipe missiles that were manufactured by the Short brothers um, aircraft factory for the to be used uh, uh, by the Contras um, so, the, so there was um, Northern Ireland uh, to me was punched above its weight when it came to being involved in, in, in stories so I, 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 uh, and then from my own experience there with the history of shipbuilding and the Harlem Wolf and going back. Uh, and uh, uh, even though uh, uh, when i was born the world war ii was only over less than 20 years so it was you still saw re- the effects of that and, and was aware of that so that's what drew me to when i came to do the prequel was to start in uh, in the waning days of world war ii and bring it on up over a 50 year span to 1994. Um, that's the, the 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 timeline for Under the Impression.
1: All right, we're talking to Kyle Darcy, author of The Best Selling Under Current Conditions and its follow-up prequel, Under the Impression. Kyle, you've got an event coming up uh, timely for this conversation as we sit here uh, recording on March 4th. You've got an event uh, Sunday, March 7th with uh, another great author and, and a great friend of mine, Michelle McPhee. Uh, terrific journalist and uh, true crime uh, uh, investigative uh, uh, reporter and, uh, and author um, at the Irish Cultural Centre of New England. Tell us about that.
2: Well, first of all, uh, one thing you and I both agree on is that Michelle's just a wonderful, wonderful person, very hardworking uh, investigative reporter, and has really worked hard to bring a lot of stories and people into the limelight who would have preferred not to be uh, kudos to her uh, Indeed. So very f- fortunate um, that the Irish cultural center like so many people in the in the greater Boston area New England area have really been uh, great uh, supporters of my work and uh, they wanted to like everybody else they're trying to help the communities by giving them some some outlets during these uh, tough pandemic times and they Put together this wonderful podcast uh, for three thirty on on a sunday this uh, march 7th and uh, michelle and myself are going to talk about our work she uh, of course her she's got a great uh, book of work there when i say book of work several books of work or whatever that put a focus on on true crime uh and to complement that with uh, what i've done with the uh, crime fictions uh, as well so we're, we're we, both of us are looking forward to that thank you cosmo for for supporting that
1: that's terrific. Sunday, March seven, three thirty p.m. Uh, you can find it on Facebook. It's Crime Time. Uh, the Irish Cultural Center of New England presents Michelle McPhee and Kyle Darcy joining us now. Kyle, you, um, you're Boston based. You grew up in, in Northern Ireland. Clearly, um, uh, very strong cultural and uh, social and family ties between uh, 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 between Boston, between New England and and Ireland talk about your fan base and uh where it exists around the world of uh of uh readership and, and if it's has I assume there's a natural strength in Boston and in certain parts of Ireland but but maybe there's some some of your your, your fans that uh might come from different walks of life that might be surprised uh,
2: yes yeah, so thank you Cardo. the, the uh, I, when I got into the uh um, took the, on the challenge to start writing and doing that I understood that uh for a book to be commercially successful it's gonna have to uh it's gonna have to appeal to the fair sex the women of this world because <laughs> guys we're terrible the only thing we want to read is sports books with lots of pictures and only if our team is winning uh, or features our <laughs> team. I, I, so that plus like motorcycle or car mechanical books is, is the limit you know uh by and large of course there are exceptions to every rule but uh i try to make my books uh appeal to both uh, uh, men and women and and, uh, with that being said as far as where in the world my readership is uh, the world is a smaller place it is today than it was 10 years ago 20 years ago or 30 years ago the power of the internet has brought us uh, brought exposed people's uh, work wonderfully uh, efficiently or what have you uh and uh it so I've got a really uh, I, w- I would say my biggest fan base and following is in the greater Boston area uh, and, I, and I find yep. I can't believe how loyal people are and supportive they are of my work um and very patient waiting ten years for it, for another book to come out. Uh, but I, I I get plenty of support from 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 the home team back in Ireland and then uh, i, 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 I I, I, people reach out from all over the world. I'm, I'm truly yeah. fortunate, Cosmo. That's that's terrific. I I, I do
1: recall um, at the uh, the Zoom event I uh, was listening in on when you were the speaker. I believe you t- you know you, you talked about how your how you know people were sort of clamoring for for another book and and you probably at some point you realized wow I, I have an audience that I can that I know will be there for me and that that's got to be a good feeling.
2: You know I I. I um... Make it uh, liken it to uh, a father telling his kids a story at, sto- at night time, and they want to hear another story. They want to hear another story, and it's like, yeah, yeah. unfortunately, uh, you only get a chance to put to make a first impression once. So you you, you can't unpublish something, you know. And uh, and and I feel you need to have a respect for people's time, uh, Cosmo. You just can't put something out for the sake of putting it out and i find the biggest challenge from uh writing is not putting words on paper it's actually taking them off uh, yep. because every word in my books i feel has to fight for the right to stay on the page and so you can keep the keep the story moving keep the plot store uh running and because uh, people have to invest 10 hours of their life and that's a big commitment to ask for anybody in, in today's world. You know, it's hard to get people to find time to read 140 characters on a tweet, let alone, <laughs> <laughs> you know, a, a novel. So as I once again, I say, I'm blessed with the support I have and uh, people are very loyal to my brand.
1: Excellent. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much, Kyle Darcy. It's been a pleasure having you on OA on Air. We'll look forward to having you back again at some point. Uh, good luck with the event this weekend and good luck with the, uh, uh, your follow-up book.
2: Thank you, Cosmo. Take care.
3: Hi, Guyana.
0: Hi, Tom. How are you?
3: Two minutes with Guy-Ann and Tom. <laughs> I'm
0: going to make a bumper sticker.
3: Why not? Will Why you not? put it
0: on your car if I make a bumper sticker?
3: Guyana Tom.
0: Or a pin? Would you prefer yeah. a button?
3: Absolutely not a bumper
0: sticker. Good. <laughs> oh Fine. I'll
3: make a button. A button. All right.
2: Button.
0: Um, so, big vaccine news this week. Uh, Johnson and Johnson vaccine received FDA approval. Could be start seeing it. I think as soon as next week in some places. Um, and then President Biden announced a, a bold announcement that he now thinks that all adults who Want, I think, want to get vaccinated It's probably a caveat there, but uh, we'll be vaccinated by the end of May, because which is not far away.
3: <laughs> not far away. And it's two months earlier than had been anticipated at the beginning of the administration. So it's a real breakthrough and a yeah. real opportunity for everybody to get vaccinated, you know, against this, this hideous COVID-19. Um, I think the second most important thing this week was that we had a couple of governors in Texas and Mississippi, um, relax all the all the masks, uh, uh, re, you know, requisite that was out before everybody, and for those states to get back to quote normalcy as quickly as they can. Joe Biden coming out and saying, you know, it's really it's preposterous. We still have this terrible strain. Uh, there are new variants out there that are that are more contagious. We don't know enough about them. Yeah. And to take off masks at this point make absolutely no sense at all. So I think he's right. I think he's providing the correct leadership. And you know, he's begging people to go and abide by the sciences. And um, what science tells us is it's not gone yet, that we want to get to this herd, herd uh, remedy. And we can only do that after X number of people in our, in our society are inoculated. So it's great progress on the one hand, both with the new a uh, vaccine has come up from Johnson & Johnson, and the, the proclamation by the president that we're going to have all adults that want a, a vaccination, they will have it by the end of May, and uh, it's great, just great news.
0: So the one thing that occurred to me when he made that announcement this week was, oh my gosh, wow, that's really exciting. Love to hear it. The idea that we could all go into this summer feeling a little bit more like we can see people again and go back to, you know, some normalcy um, is amazing. The other thing that occurred to me is everything with this, with the vaccines has been, you know, it, there's a certain extent that's out of his control and can be a bit precarious. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm hoping he has more than enough information to have made that claim. But the The second thing that I thought was, that is a very big, bold claim to make. And God forbid he can't fulfill it. He will just get attacked and eviscerated. And, you know, you wonder if what the reasoning was there, I guess. more Putting like my 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 PR hat on, um, you've got to be really confident to say something like that.
3: Yeah. No, I think you do. But I think, again, it's based on the data that he's received and the you know the, the the manufacturing and production of these vaccines and how quickly they can get here so I, I think he's being aggressive, but I think it's based on on knowledge of vaccines being delivered and delivered yeah. in a way that they're going to be distributed in a in a in a in a in a, in a sensible manner um anyway,
0: you need to follow the science we're doing we're doing good we're we're far better today than we were a month ago as a country. We,
3: are, we are except you know we we can tell too that the uh, number of cases has increased by 2% over the last week and the number of deaths have increased by the same percentage point over the last week. So there's been a lot of relaxation of rules and uh, and and protocols. And what we want to do is make sure that people just stay safe, keep their social distance, even if you've had your shots, you know, put a mask on, you know, wash yeah. your hands frequently and, and do what you're you're asked to do so that we kind of get this get through this in a, in a timely fashion
0: we've all got a part to play
3: it's always good to be with you cayenne we do you have too, a, Tom. we do have a role to play thanks for your help
0: have a good one bye that's it for this week's episode of oa on air via social distancing thanks for tuning in talk to you next week